Hello, my friends. I'm going to take you through some astonishing public comments by politicians, not just in Germany, but in America, talking about energy lockdowns, climate lockdowns, and in one case, an energy company forcing you to have high heat in your home. Uh, sorry, let me, to have no air conditioning in your home when it's hot out. I'll explain what I mean. I'll show you the picture of it. I'll play some video clips. That's why I want you to get the video version of this podcast. We call it Rebel News Plus. I'm going to show you a bunch of pictures. I'm going to show you some short speeches by some politicians talking about climate lockdowns, talking about just two weeks to bend the curve. And I want you to see it because I don't know if you'll believe it if I just tell you about it. So come and subscribe to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version. It's eight bucks a month. You get my nightly show plus four weekly shows at 36 episodes a month just for eight smackers. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, climate lockdowns have come to Europe and America. That was quick. It's September 7th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Hey, look at this video. It's from Europe. Take a look. This is what is expensive, because in these peak demands, the expensive gas comes into the market. So what we have to do is flatten the curve and uh, avoid the peak demands. We will propose a mandatory target for reducing electricity use at peak hours, and we will work very closely with the member states to achieve this. That woman has not been elected to her office, but it is a very high office. She is the president of Europe. Ursula von der Leyen is her name. Europe is not a country, of course, but it has a president of the European Union, like a smaller version of the world's United Nations. And she's more powerful in some ways than actual presidents elected by actual countries in the European Union. That's a big reason why the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union a few years back. How could any self-respecting country submit to a president and a European parliament in which their own country is a minority, submissive to a continent of foreigners, even if they're friendly foreigners. Anyways, that's who that is, a globalist by definition, someone who doesn't respect local autonomy or sovereignty by definition. It's not surprising that she loves going to the World Economic Forum. It would be odd if she didn't. They're her kind of people. She doesn't like door knocking or anything so pedestrian that we haven't democratic elections in nation states. She likes to hobnob with the oligarchs. Anyway, you heard the woman. Flatten the curve. I can't believe she actually said that. You'll remember that from the first few days of the pandemic lockdowns. Hey, we know it's painful. Hey, we know it's a violation of your civil liberties. Yes, we know it's without democratic legitimacy, but it's just for two weeks. Just let us do this for two weeks and we'll stop we promise, just to flatten the curve, sure. Mandatory reduction in energy use. Did you hear that part? What do we need energy for, especially natural gas? I mean, that's really what she's talking about. Well, 
It's used to heat a great many homes, just that, and cooking. And of course, natural gas is a fuel in power plants. It succeeded coal in many cases. And although much of Europe has its own natural gas, often trapped in shale rock that has to be fracked, well, environmentalists have been able to scare off progressives and liberals to scare them out of fracking their own gas into banning fracking, to ban their own energy, but to import fracked gas from Russia. Trump warned them not to do that. Remember this amazing video mocking Trump? Reliance on a single foreign supplier can leave a nation vulnerable to extortion and intimidation. That is why we congratulate European states such as Poland for leading the construction of a Baltic pipeline so that nations are not dependent on Russia to meet their energy needs. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. That's quite something. Who's laughing now? <laughs> Those sophisticated Germans having a good chuckle, a good smirk at the orange American loudmouth. Ha ha! Well, maybe they can laugh now to keep warm in the cold winter that's coming. By the way, why do you think that Western environmentalist groups almost never criticize Russian or OPEC oil or gas? Is it because it's dangerous to have a pipeline protest in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Russia? Well, of course it is. You could be killed or at least jailed. Only once have I ever seen Greenpeace protest in Russia. Russia, the largest oil producer in the world, tied with America and Saudi Arabia in terms of daily production. And indeed, they were arrested and jailed in an awful jail and held for a long time. Not like Stephen Gilbo, the Trudeau cabinet minister, the Greenpeace activist who hates Canadian energy, pulled a stunt at the CN Tower and got not a day's jail from a liberal judge. Yeah, Vladimir Putin hits a bit different. Greenpeace has never done another protest there again. But of course, most advocacy is not done in real life. It's done online. I can understand why Greenpeace doesn't actually protest in OPEC or Russia or, or China, for that matter. They could get killed or arrested like they were in Russia. But please tell me why Greenpeace won't even have a website about OPEC or Russian oil or a press release or have some events in London or New York or their head office in Amsterdam. Well, I have a theory. And here it is being spoken by Anders Fogh Rasmussen, the former head of NATO. Russia, as part of their sophisticated uh, information and disinformation operations, engage actively with so-called non-governmental organizations, environmental organizations working against shale gas, obviously, to uh, maintain European dependence uh, on imported Russian gas. That's my interpretation. So that's your former head of NATO saying Russia pays environmentalists to oppose fracking, but only in the West. I'm sure they cover their tracks a bit. I'm sure they don't just issue a check that's signed by Vladimir Putin to Greenpeace. Money probably goes from Gazprom 
to some bank, to some front group in the West, and then from them to Greenpeace. Probably some of that Gazprom money and OPEC money is working here in Canada, too, to attack our energy sector. Whether or not Trudeau is in on it or just a useful idiot, as the communists say, is not known. It's not really important, is it? He opposes them just like Putin would. But these activists shut down coal, and they shut down natural gas, they shut down fracking. Many are against nuclear power, too. And so the continent became hostage to the Russians and their gas pipelines, including one that's called Nord Stream. You might remember that because that's the pipeline that Trudeau literally amended Canada's sanctions on Russia to permit. They sent their pipeline turbines to Canada for maintenance, and Trudeau said, sure, happy to help. There is nothing he wouldn't do to help conflict oil and nothing he wouldn't do to help ethical oil from Canada. Well, Germany's getting really weird about this, don't you think? The former chancellor, Gerhard Schrader, went to work for Putin at Gazprom after he retired as chancellor. That would be like Barack Obama going to work for an oil company in Saudi Arabia or Venezuela. And not just that, but at the same time recommending that America not drill for oil. Imagine allowing that kind of open overt corruption. Actually, it's not that hard to imagine. Get a load of this uh, German politician, uh, Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock. So she's not some nobody, and she actually is elected, unlike Ursula. Take a look. But if I give the promise to people in Ukraine, we stand with you as long as you need us, then I want to deliver, no matter what my German voters think, but I want to deliver to the people of Ukraine. And this is why, for me, it's important to be always very frank and clear. And this means every measure I'm taking, I have to be clear that this holds on as long as Ukraine needs me. We are facing now a winter time where we will be challenged as democratic politicians. People will go on the street and say, we cannot pay our energy prices. And I will say, yes, I know, so we help you with social measures. But I don't want to say, okay, then we stop the sanctions against uh, Russia. We will stand with Ukraine, and this means the sanction will stay also in wintertime, even if it gets really tough for po politicians. She said it. She said the quiet part out loud. She said, even if it gets tough for Germans, suck it. She's a German, but she literally will put a promise to a foreign politician above her own voters' interests. Incredible. There was no vote on this. There was no election in which this was a campaign issue. She's just saying it, and so is Ursula von der Leyen. You know, not far away, 50 or 100,000 checks, depending on which news headline you believe, rallied the other day to protest against this new energy poverty. I'm sure many of them sympathized with Ukraine. Remember that the Czechs were under Soviet domination for 40-plus years during the Cold War. There may be some pro-Putin types in the protest, too. Sure, why not? But maybe a massive crowd of ordinary people protesting against their energy prices doubling and tripling. Maybe they really do care about energy poverty. They're being forced to choose between paying the heat or paying for groceries. But the millionaire foreign minister and the millionaire EU president don't really care. You can bet their homes will be nice and toasty warm this winter. Of course they will be. I shouldn't just pick on Germany. This is from Switzerland. They've all gone mad. <laughs> In Switzerland, they're actually, they're actually threatening you if you use energy. How did that happen? Greta Thunberg is a great symbol 
Now, she didn't cause this. She was a symptom of this. PR over substance, ignorance over science, a new religion to replace the old religion, something to believe in. But really what gets me about Greta is that she wasn't wise, she wasn't smart, she wasn't charismatic. Her entire appeal was that she was a child, and not just a child, but a very young-looking child. She looks much younger than she is, and she looks slightly touched. I think she's on the spectrum a bit. It was her very ignorance that was cast as the new kind of wisdom. And a child shall lead them. You know where that phrase is from, right? It's from the Bible, the book of Isaiah. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, they mean a baby goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Those are impossible things, though. A wolf getting along with a lamb, a leopard with a baby goat, a lion and a calf, and a, and a little child leading them all. That's a description of an impossible place, utopia. Or the promise of heaven when the Messiah comes. That's why it's in the Bible. It's a fantastical vision of what will come after the Messiah returns. In real life, don't put wolves with lambs. Don't do that. They'll eat the lambs. We protect lambs from wolves in real life. We don't let children lead. Either us or wild animals, they are just children. Imagine taking that phrase from the book of Isaiah literally and doing it. Well, I think we did. I think we let a child, I think we let a child lead us, a real child like Greta. And unserious childish politicians too, like Justin Trudeau, who only thinks of childish things, like his hair and his socks and how he looks and how he sounds. And a media party that loves that about him. So I guess the first thing I should ask you is, are you feeling lucky? I mean, <laughs> the entire country wants to know. What shampoo do you use? <laughs> what a disappointing answer this is going to be. Whatever happens to be hanging around at the time. But look at what it means in real life. Look at this from Denver, Colorado. Thousands of Excel customers locked out of thermostats during... Energy emergency, 22,000 people lost control of temperatures in their homes for hours Tuesday. Here's what it looked like on their home thermostat device. You got that notice in your house, temperature was locked. You, you couldn't do anything about it. Now, that didn't happen to every single person, just low-income people who accepted, I think it was a $25 reduction in their power bills for the right of the company to turn off their power when they wanted. So... The poor can sweat it out in the summer heat. The poor will have to be cold in the winter. That's Colorado in the United States of America. And here is California, the mightiest state. Here's the governor. California, we're now in a flex alert. That sounds really cool. What does that mean? Says the governor. We all need to conserve as much energy as possible during this record-breaking heat wave. Here's what to do until 9 p.m. tonight. Set thermostat to 78. That's very warm, by the way. Turn off unnecessary lights. Yeah, just sit in the dark. Avoid using large appliances. Yeah, don't wash your kids' clothes. Don't cook dinner. You know, Flex Alert sounds so cool. Just don't use anything big and electric. Like, I don't know, say your Tesla. Not that you could afford it. Uh, look at this. They're literally using those panic emergency messages that they 
put on your cell phones like they do for kidnapped children, Amber Alerts? And don't you worry. The media party has a perfectly plausible explanation for all of this. <laughs> Climate change. Climate change overwhelming California power grid. Is that what's doing it? But it's not climate change, and it's not even the Russians. It's that the West has committed economic suicide by banning things that work. Coal works, oil works, gas works, nukes work. And investing in schemes that don't instead. No one more than Germany, by the way. I don't know if you ever heard of it. They had a thing they called, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Energiewende, which I think means, I think I pronounced that right. I know it means energy turn, energy transition. They spent pretty much close to a trillion dollars on it over the last 20 years. No change, though, no meaningful change other than huge, ugly, bird-killing wind turbines, lots of enriched lobbyists, but no change. They're more reliant on Russia than ever for natural gas. It's a failure, not of a failure of fossil fuels. It's a failure of politicians who banned fossil fuels, just like the last two years of our lives were a failure, not at the hands of a virus, which was the equivalent to a bad flu year. It was a failure at the hands of politicians who locked us down, using the virus as an excuse, using exactly the same language as they do now. Just two weeks to flatten the curve, you guys. Promise. This is what is expensive, because in these peak demands, the expensive gas comes into the market. So what we have to do is flatten the curve and uh, avoid the peak demands, we will propose a mandatory target for reducing electricity use at peak hours, and we will work very closely with the member states to achieve this. Yeah, they devastated our health in the name of health. They're devastating our energy in the name of energy. <laughs> and you know, they're coming for our farmers next, don't you? Stay with us for more. Well, one of our most trusted Sherpas to guide us up the mountain of wisdom when it comes to U.S. politics, especially on the Democratic Party side, is our friend Joel Pollack, the senior editor-at-large at Breitbart.com. He's written books about the Democrats, I think even more than he's written about the Republicans. It's important for us to know the other side. And we're delighted to have him. He literally pulled over to the side of the road, hopped out of the car. We're going to do an interview on his cell phone. So he's made time for us. I think he's actually on vacation. Without further ado, let me introduce our good friend, Joel Pollack. Joel, great to see you in lovely California. I say it's lovely, but actually there's blackouts and brownouts in the state that's the mightiest state of the union in terms of GDP. They can't keep the lights on. Well, I'm here in San Francisco, and this area is one of the few that had some power problems, but the state narrowly avoided a massive rolling blackout situation, which they had prepared to unfold on Tuesday evening. We are out of energy. And one of the reasons we're out of energy is that we've moved away from fossil fuels. We have pushed into renewables like solar and wind before they are capable of making up the difference. And so our peak crisis hours are between four o'clock p.m. and nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. And that's because there's no solar energy. The solar energy starts dwindling in the mid-afternoon, and by about 5.30 p.m., 
you've got the worst of all worlds, maximum demand for air conditioning in a heat wave and dwindling supply because there's no solar energy coming through or less than there is during the midday hours. So we've had eight consecutive days of what they call a flex alert, which is a situation where the state asks people voluntarily to conserve electricity, including by not plugging in their electric vehicles. And those are the vehicles the state is mandating that people buy from 2035 onward. As of 2035, according to Governor Gavin Newsom, you can no longer buy a gas-powered passenger vehicle in the state of California unless it also has some kind of electric engine. There are a few exceptions, but basically we're all going to have to drive electric vehicles. That means the grid's going to have to produce 30% more power than it currently does. And that's with the loss of a nuclear plant in 2030. They delayed that by five years, but still we're going to lose it before 2035. And with natural gas plants being shut down. Uh, ironically, the state just turned on four new natural gas plants that it built for emergencies. So in this heat wave, electricity crisis, energy emergency, we have now activated four natural gas plants, good old fossil fuels in a pinch. You know, it's uh, funny. Uh, our friend Alex Epstein, who wrote the great book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, he says, don't call them renewables and, and non-renewables. That's not the proper categories he called he said use the word reliables and unreliables and i think that's really spot on nuclear power coal natural gas you can rely on them as you just pointed out they are the you know panic button for california you can't rely on wind when it's either too windy or not windy enough you can't rely on solar in the night and even if you could both are so much more expensive you'd have the kind of energy poverty you're seeing in europe all I see in the media party, in the mainstream media, is climate change is to blame. Climate change it did not shut down reliables. Politicians did. I feel like this is a disaster at the hands of politicians, but they're trying to blame, you know, like the Aztecs, trying to blame some, you know, uh, solar eclipse or something for their own acts. Well, the funny thing about that is even if you assume that climate change is happening, turning off nuclear power plants is the worst way to deal with it, right? Because you've got nuclear energy for zero emissions. So we disconnected the San Onofre nuclear plant several years ago. That was supplying 9% of the state's energy needs and I think 17% of the needs for Southern California. That's gone. They were about to turn off the Diablo Canyon nuclear reactor, the last one in the state. And then Gavin Newsom waited in and told the legislature to delay five years. That passed last week on the verge of this crisis. So we're going to still have one nuclear power plant, but you're right, as reliables turn off, you start to see the deficiencies in renewables. And two years ago, exactly this time of year, we had a very similar energy crisis. And Gavin Newsom told California consumers we needed to sober up about the limits of solar and wind, because they don't work when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing, or as you put it as well, blowing too hard, right, for the turbines to work. And yet then just a few weeks later, he announced this mandate for everybody to buy electric vehicles. So people are scratching their heads here, even on the left, and wondering why we are requiring people to buy electric vehicles that we're then telling them they cannot charge in a crisis between the hours of 4 and 9 p.m. does not make sense. Yeah. You're stuck with luck. It's crazy. And of course, that I don't know if you saw that Excel Energy in Colorado 
turned off the thermostats in 22,000 of their customers' homes. Now, those people had agreed to it for a reduction in price. So basically, the poorest people in Colorado who needed that $25 discount or whatever, well, they can bake in, in the summer heat while wealthy people can get their air conditioning. I had a premonition of many things to come. Climate lockdowns. I mean, we see in Europe them talking about mandatory reductions in energy use, not voluntary. I'm terrified by it. But I want to ask you, I mean, I, there's a lot to talk about there, but I know we only have you for a couple more minutes. So let me shift gears to what I think was an absolutely astonishing moment in American political history. And it was this speech by Joe Biden. And it's not just the speech. It was the staging, the setting, the color, the iconography. It, it felt like it was a satire. It felt like I, I'm just going to say it. It felt like Nazi iconography, Nazi color, blood red, black, armed soldiers in the background. It felt like a parody of a Hitler speech. And, I, and I'm not comparing Biden to Hitler. I'm just saying visually it was something that Lenny Riefenstahl would have uh, uh, set up. Here, take a quick look at that speech. And here, in my view, is what is true. MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They refuse to accept the results of a free election. And they're working right now, as I speak, in state after state, to give power to decide elections in America to partisans and cronies, empowering election deniers to undermine democracy itself. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. He was angry. He called his opponents, he implied they were fascists. He denounced any MAGA Republicans, which was, you know, any, any one of the millions of people who voted for Trump. He, he said they were a threat to democracy. It was a fascist speech in a fascist setting. What on earth happened, Joel? What was that all about? Did he know he was doing it? Who approved that? What was the point of that? So I think it is a deliberate attempt to make the election about Trump and to rally the Democratic base to come out against Trump, to frighten them into thinking that if they give congressional power back to Republicans in the midterm elections this year, that means bringing back the evil, bad orange man. So I think that's very much uh, what they were aiming to do. As for the staging of it, I think they hoped that Independence Hall would provide a patriotic setting they would allow Biden to champion or posture as the champion of the De Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, both of which were drafted there. But, you know, I think that the people in the Biden administration just are at a certain level incompetent. They did not know how to stage that speech properly. If you saw a wide angle view of the speech, it looked less ominous. So they probably looked at pictures of Independence Hall and thought, oh, that looks great. Red, white and blue. They didn't realize that when the camera panned in, when it zoomed in on Biden, all you would see is the red. 
Likewise, they thought that having Marines behind the president would emphasize the patriotism of the location. Instead, it looked like they were Imperial Guards from the Death Star in Star Wars. You know, it looked really bad. Plus, it was a disgrace for the Marines to have to be exploited that way in a political speech. So I think there was some incompetent staging. You never would have seen that at the Trump White House because, say what you will about his tweets, he had a definite feel for stagecraft, having come from the entertainment industry, the real estate world. So he understood how to stage a speech. And I think the staging was the greatest failure. It really made many Americans feel like Joe Biden is actually scarier than Donald Trump, which is quite something because Joe Biden's excuse or the excuse made for him has always been that he's mentally incapable of being malicious. But that speech was really scary. And the fact that he was labeling Trump supporters as, as you put it, fascists, you know, the word semi doesn't really change the word fascist. Uh, that's really scared people. So I think it backfired. I think Democrats know it backfired. And Biden has spent the last several days trying to backtrack from some of the things he said. No, he wasn't talking about all Trump supporters, just the elected ones. Well, you know, who elects them? I mean, who elects the quote unquote MAGA Republicans? Besides which, Trump's uh, defense here has, has been basically to catch the Democrats as hypocrites. I mean, Peter Ducey of Fox News put it to Press Secretary uh, Karine Jean-Pierre that she had called an election stolen on several occasions, 2016, 2018. So if that's extremist, isn't she an extremist? And her answer for that was just terrible. So I think the Democrats really shot themselves in the foot here, and they've given Trump voters a reason to come out to the polls in November. Here's that quick exchange from the White House. I thought it was a great question and a terrible answer. Here, take a look. The new attention on the MAGA Republicans. You tweeted in 2016, Trump stole an election. I was waiting, Peter, when you were going to ask me that question. Well, here we go. (laughs) You tweeted Trump stole an election. You tweeted Brian Kemp stole an election. If denying election results is extreme now, why was it So let's let's be really clear that... That comparison that you made is just ridiculous. I have How been, I have ridiculous? been, well, you're asking me, you're asking me a question. Yes. Let me answer it. And you said it was Wait, ridiculous. I was, I was talking specifically at that time of what was happening with voting rights and the, what was in danger of voting rights. That's what I was speaking to at the time. Well, what's the temperature? Because, uh, so, you know, a year is happening every month. The news is so dense. I mean, I remember when the, uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade was going to be the issue for the midterms. Who knows? Maybe it will be. Inflation, um, you know, the price of energy. What is the mood out there? I, it, it's not too far away. We're after Labor Day now, you know, October, November, two months away. Um, listen, a lot can still happen, but what do you predict is going to be the result? Uh, can Republicans hold it together as they have felt like for the last year that they've, they're going to have a victory in the midterms? Or can Biden think- and the Democrats and the media party derail it? I think the best prediction would be that the Republicans take the House and that the Democrats hold on in the Senate. There's a definite groundswell of opposition to Biden that will fuel a lot of these congressional races. At the same time, the Republican Senate leadership is very lackluster and has not inspired Republican voters. So I think that Democrats may just hold on in the Senate. However, Biden has really antagonized Republicans so much that they're much more engaged right now than Democrats are. The Roe versus Wade decision is motivating some Democrats to come out and vote, but they already live in liberal states. So I don't know how much of an impact that's going to have. The best bet right now would be for a split Congress, but anything can happen. All right. There you have it. Joel Pollack, senior editor at large, Breitbart.com, pulling over the highway in lovely San Francisco to give us an update. Thanks for interrupting your vacation for us.
<laughs> I'm at work, actually, but thank you uh, as well to all your viewers. All right, there you have it. All right, take care, my friend. Stay with us. Your letters to me are next. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer mailed to me. Love84111 writes, euthanasia is a new word for murder. We will see more of this as it's cheaper for the government. Well, that is the inexorable end to it. Protecting the system becomes more important than the system protecting citizens. At least a private customer, private company, values a customer and wants that customer to live as long as possible. Now, maybe the private company actually wants the customer to spend as much money as possible. Okay, fine. At least that's keeping the customer alive. But when the money is the government's and the service providers the government's, they absolutely have an economic incentive to cut off anyone unhealthy. Oh my God, $100,000 worth of surgery? Hey, why don't we do something free and recommend that they kill himself? That's exactly what they're doing. And the grossest part is that they're starting with the veterans. R1957 Bobo, that sounds like a robot's name, says this is disgusting. Aren't doctors meant to have sworn an oath to protect life? Surely these people who are treating these guys bound by the same. Yeah, the Hippocratic Oath do no harm. Obviously, it's been ignored here because they're government doctors. I mean, haven't you learned from the last two years that a great many doctors will do exactly what the government tells them to do? Paul McCullough says, back from 30 days in Facebook jail, I'm thinking puppets like Trudeau are being replaced. We're seeing the Centers for Disease Control and others backtracking. They did the intended damage. Now they'll take the fall. If need be, war will be next. They have a lot of covering up to do. A huge war or a series of smaller ones will do the trick. Well, there is war overseas in Ukraine and Russia. Um, I'm not sure if that's actually distracting people here at home because I, I don't think there's, I mean, there are a million or so Ukrainian Canadians who surely have a stake in there and others who are just interested. But I don't think that's distracting. I think people, I think there's an economic uh, malaise that's coming, high interest rates and high inflation combined. That's a deadly combination. I think they're going to have a, a circus where they try and turn the Emergencies Act judicial inquiry into why Trudeau invoked martial law, trying to flip that around and put the truckers on trial. I'm sure Trudeau has that in mind. And of course, he's not done. As I said in my monologue, they declared war on energy. Now they're about to declare war on farmers. It's a constant state of crisis. Somehow they profit by it. A lot of dark things out there, but we'll keep fighting. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rubber World Headquarters to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. You know, I saw this very moronic clip the other day. Of course, the media in Canada didn't report on the very stupid thing that Justin Trudeau said, but the Americans did. The clip even turned up on Fox News' Tucker Carlson show. Here it is. Um, I'm just wondering, what do you think is behind the rise in threats that politicians are facing? We've been through a lot as a, as a country, as a world over these past years. Obviously, the pandemic, uh, increasing anxiety because of climate change, uh, transformations of our economy, um, rise in, um, in mental health and addiction problems, particularly with the opioid uh, crisis that has been uh, ravaging communities right across the country. Um, it's a lot of pressure on a lot of people. 
Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Climate change. That's the reason we can't get along with each other. It has absolutely nothing to do with the perpetual stoking of hate by our prime minister, the man who called my fellow Canadians things like this. On sent que la sécurité est accrue autour de vous. Là. On sent que c'est c'est plus dangereux peut-être en ce moment pour Bien, vous? On est en, dans un moment difficile parce qu'on est en train de prendre des, des, des choix importants. Euh, on est en train de décider que oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on, sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre. Mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui ne croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, un, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on est qu tolère ces gens-là ou est-ce qu'on dit, ben voyons, la plupart des gens, presque 80 des Québécois, ont fait ce qu'il fallait faire, se sont fait vacciner, on veut revenir à, 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 aux choses qu'on aime faire. Ce n'est pas ces gens-là qui vont nous bloquer. Maintenant, on est dans une quatrième vague qui est, est presque entièrement des gens non vaccinés qui remplissent nos hôpitaux à travers le pays. Euh, à un moment donné, il faut, faut mettre son pied à terre pour dire, excusez-moi, là, mais il n'y a pas de débat sur la science. And yet, Trudeau just can't seem to figure out why we're all so deeply divided. Perhaps it's because he's doing the dividing. Seven years in power. Who do you think caused this radical shift in the political culture in Canada? For all the left-wing hyperbolists who spent 10 years crying about what an extreme fascist Stephen Harper was, Harper didn't go around shooting journalists with riot control guns. <laughs> or trampling grandmothers in the streets or arresting other grandmothers for opposing him like Justin Trudeau has done. Oh, oh my goodness! Look what you did! Harper was prickly with the media, sure, but he didn't try to ban or control or censor them. But Justin Trudeau, he knows how to fix this political division in this country and the hate crimes following it because hate crimes are following it. Take a look at this from a couple of days ago. It's a, an official federal government announcement. Justin Trudeau announced an action plan for the two SLGBTQI plus community. I think they switched around some of the letters there from the last time I read something on this topic. Anyway, the action plan includes funding to build a more inclusive future for sexually diverse people, including funding for community organizations, criminal law reforms, funding for Canada's feminist international assistance policy, which sounds like funding for abortions abroad, abortion colonialism. There's also money for supporting Indigenous to SLGBTQI plus resilience and resurgence, including a dedicated two-spirit senior advisor position within the government. They want to engage everyone in Canada in fostering a more inclusive future by investing in awareness campaigns. Friends, I've seen how Justin Trudeau engages people and I want no part of it. Let's keep going. And they want to embed sexual minority issues in the work of the government of Canada. And this will all cost $100 million over the next five years. Look, I don't want anybody to face discrimination for any reason. That's why I'm against vaccine passports. But when you have been given the entire summer instead of just a week or a parade to celebrate your lifestyle, I'm pretty sure you're not as oppressed as you think you are. And I actually have the statistical data to prove it. So this isn't just my opinion. Let me get the backstory for you. Remember last year when the alleged discovery of 200 plus 
Graves of children at a residential school in Kamloops sparked a summer of church burnings and anti-Christian violence. If you need a refresher on the topic, my friend Joria Humphrey just made a documentary. It's called Kamloops, The Buried Truth, and it's about her attempts to get to the bottom of what really happened at Kamloops and her challenges in simply getting straight answers. You can find it at KamloopsDocumentary.com. But nobody needed straight answers or inconvenient facts or an investigation, for that matter, for Justin Trudeau to empathize with those who were burning our churches. He was empathizing with people committing anti-Christian terrorist arsons. Remember? One of my reflections is I understand the anger that's out there against the federal government, against institutions like the Catholic Church. It is uh, real and it is fully understandable given uh, the shameful history that we're all uh, becoming more and more aware of uh, and engaging ourselves to do better uh, as Canadians. But Justin Trudeau's sympathy for the devil? Let me show you what that looks like using government statistics. While sexual minorities get a special secretariat and a hundred million bucks in funding, Christians and specifically Catholics were on the receiving end of 260% increases in police reported hate crimes, four times more than the rise in hate crimes for sexual minorities. But no one will condemn this and no one in Trudeau's lapdog media will even tell you about this. Why? Us Catholics, we're inconvenient to the liberal agenda. We're pro-life and we're pro-family. And we certainly don't worship the government over God. You know, the opposite of Justin Trudeau. So I guess we just have it coming. For Rebel News, I'm Sheila Gunreed.